This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we do thank You tonight, Lord, for Your goodness to us. Lord, as always, we want to thank You for bringing us together and giving us this time apart for the study of Your Word and for prayer. Lord, we pray, help us to be faithful in prayer, faithful in service. And all of these that we've uh, mentioned on our list tonight, others that You send across our paths, our paths, Lord, we pray um, for Your wisdom, seizing every opportunity to show Christ uh, to the world, to demonstrate Your mercy and Your grace uh, to brothers and sisters in Christ and also to those who don't know You. And we pray, Lord, as we open Your Word and consider the truth before us again that You would grant understanding. Work it all out for Your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, First Timothy 3. 1 <clears throat> Timothy 3. And we're going to zero in tonight on uh, verse 16. <clears throat> I will say just briefly as a reminder, um, well, actually I'm going to read again verses 14 through 16 and and, uh, and then we'll come back to it. Verse 14. These things I write to you Though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Okay, so what you have in verse 16, now we're considering the truth that uh, Paul has been talking about here. For example, uh, in, well, specifically in verse 15, he says, The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We stand for, we, we support, we hold up the truth. Um, for the world to, to hear, to see. The church, called out ones, the congregation of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. So again, as I mentioned last week, the picture is uh, of a, uh, the, the mental picture is of a, of a temple type structure with the pillars, massive pillars holding up um, the roof. That's the, the kind of uh, uh, analogy that's being used here. The word pillar you have, the ground, is, is the, the idea there is foundation. So the, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We were looking at a building last night, as a matter of fact, in downtown Shreveport, that has the, the Greek columns on the front, old building. I don't know what it was originally. There's a, 
there's an old Jewish synagogue on one side of uh, uh, Common Street, and then Caddy Corner <laughs> across um, is a, uh, another old building that looks like it was almost created to match it uh, with the with the uh, Greek columns in front. Well, that's that's the kind of um, mental picture Paul is painting here. And as we said before, that would be um, familiar to the Ephesians because in Ephesus was the Temple of Diana, uh, which was that type of structure. In fact, it's one of the uh, seven ancient seven wonders of the world. Um, 127 pillars holding up this uh, the roof of this uh, massive temple. So, Paul says, uses that imagery to describe the function of the church, the, the, uh, the mission of the church, or you could say, in a sense, um, the nature of the church, what we're about. We're about truth. That's why we're here. That's what we, what we hold forth, again, for the world to see and hear. It's what we put on display. It's what we, what we verbalize. It's what we live by God's grace. And then he goes into a description of that. And, and, and again, I'll just say up front, because we're going we're to come back to this in the end, but um, essentially we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So all of truth is Christ-centered. It's about, all about Him. Just like this little hymn here is, is uh, Christologically centered. Or you could say Christo-centered. Um, now, I want to mention just a couple of things here with, uh, about uh, the, the structure of this hymn. And let me read it again first. In fact, I'm going to read it to you in a couple of different uh, translations here. Um, verse 16. I just read you the, uh, the New King James. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, Received up in glory, almost uh, verbatim uh, what the old King James says as well. Uh, the New American Standard reads this way, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And I... Uh, Explained last week that the reason there uh, that the NASB translates that first—it's actually one word in Greek. Greek uh, uh, the, in the King James, it's translated "without controversy." The New American Standard translates it "by common confession," because that is what the word means. It it's, uh, comes from the uh, the verb homologeo, which which means uh, to say the same thing. It's often translated "confession." Um, so the idea here is, is we're in agreement on this. There's, there's no, that's why the, the old King James or new King James is why it says there's no controversy. There's no controversy about this. There's agreement about what? Well, specifically that the mystery of godliness is great. In other words, that, that word or, or phrase in the English by common confession without controversy is, is, uh, pointing to the word great. We all agree that this is great, this mystery of godliness. And also, I should mention, uh, if you, you may have noticed, the NASB 
rather than saying God was manifested in the flesh, it says He. Of course, it's capitalized because it is talking about God. But uh, the old uh, older manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, uh, have the pronoun there rather than the name, or not name, but rather than the word God, theos. So that's why the... Uh, uh, the translations taken from the older manuscripts are use that, use the pronoun instead of God. ESV reads this way, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Very little word difference. Really, in any of these, you'll notice. Um, NIV, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And there again, they're, they're just putting across the idea of homologeo there. We, we don't, we don't uh, dispute this. We all agree on this. We all say the same thing. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in the, a body was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Now, uh, one reason I wanted to read all those is just so that we would hear it over and over and over. <laughs> because uh, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the structure there, but the most important thing is the content. What Paul is saying there, what the Holy Spirit is saying there. And if you notice, just for example, um, it's talking about Christ. For example, the, the old King James says, God was manifested in the flesh. And even in the others, um, it, he's talking about, the, the, tech, the context there, he's talking about God, and then he who was manifested or revealed in the flesh. So... What the Apostle is saying, what the Holy Spirit is communicating through the Apostle, is that God was manifest in the flesh. Or, you could say, made known. God was made known in the flesh. We'll come back to that in a minute. God was manifested in the flesh. God was vindicated in the Spirit. God was seen by angels. God was proclaimed among the nations. God was believed on in the world. God was taken up in glory. Now, you, you could, again, just uh, to, to put across the truth, to, to uh, say it in a different way, would still be accurate to say, Jesus was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was revealed, or was vindicated in the Spirit. Jesus was seen by angels. Jesus was proclaimed among the nations. Jesus believed on in the world. Jesus was taken up in glory. Now, all that just to say this, that it's obvious here, he's talking about Jesus and he's saying these things about God. So it is a profession of the deity of Christ. Um, it is Christocentered. High Christology here. This, this is a, uh, um, a big thing with me. Um, it is important that we have a high Christology. We, all I mean by that is we need a high view of Christ. And that's what the Scripture conveys. Jesus is divine. Divine meaning, not 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 the way we use the word a lot of times. Like you, like you, uh, 
take a bite out of a good dessert and you say, oh, that's divine. <laughs> not, not like that. Um, but meaning that he is, his very nature is um, God. He is God. And he's God in the flesh. He was made known in the flesh. All right. So Paul, Paul writes here, this mystery of godliness, reference to the truth, church, the church, the congregation is the pillar and ground of the truth. The called out ones of the living God are the pillar and ground of the truth. And this truth, the mystery of godliness, we all agree, he says, is great. The word, the Greek word there for great is mega. It's, it's big. It's great. This truth, this mystery of godliness, the truth about Jesus Christ that has been revealed in these last times, these last days, Paul is saying, is without uh, dispute, great. Great is the mystery of godliness. All right. Now, just real, uh, well, at least I'll try to be brief here, uh, a little bit on the, on the structure here. Why am I referring to it as a hymn? Um, because uh, most scholars uh, recognize that because of the structure of the language here. And I'm just going to give you a couple of options on the form there. But there's no doubt that um, it, it, is, it is pinned in a rhythmic form. And this is this was very common Hebrew writing and even writing of you know ancient Hebrew writing even writing of the uh, first century um, poetry in other words poetry is very common I think I mentioned that the other night you can you can go through your Bible now I just did uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of study on this and a couple of different courses that I took last semester and it's astounding uh, how much of the Bible is poetry. In fact, and like I say, I think I mentioned this the other night, but you, you can you can recognize it in most modern translations just by the layout because the, the publishers lay it out differently. And so, for example, uh, I can turn to Leviticus, and you can see how almost the whole page is filled with the writing because that's all narrative. You know, just you know, like the old uh, uh, who was it, uh, Sergeant Friday, to say you know the facts. The facts, just the facts, you know. That's all narrative. It's just, it's just laying out the story. But you can go somewhere like Psalms, and there's a totally different layout. Well, why do the publishers do that? The original wasn't, you know, like that. Well, why, why do the publishers do that? Because this is poetry. And so they, they, they put it in a whole different form on the page. I mean, you see all the white there compared to uh, uh, where I was in Leviticus a moment ago? And the Bible is loaded, it's not just in the Psalms and Proverbs, the Bible is loaded with poetry. It's a fascinating thing to me um, that God would do that in communicating His will and His Word. And this is one example that we're looking at tonight, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. It's, it's a uh, uh, in poetic form. It's a hymn. Now, there, there are several different options that... Uh, when they look at the form and they try to consider, okay, exactly what is the form here? How is he laying it out? I mean, let me just mention a couple here, a couple of options, because we don't know for sure. But one that probably first comes to your mind, you look at this little confession, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles. And this was the first one that came to my mind, is chronological 
You might think, okay, what Paul did here, or whoever, you know, the Holy Spirit originally used to pin this uh, uh, hymn or confession, what they did was lay it out chronologically. God was manifested in the flesh, you know, the first coming of Christ. Jesus, uh, the eternal Son of God, became a man. Justified in the Spirit. Resurrection, right? Probably a reference to the resurrection. Seen by angels, and certainly that was the case following the resurrection. Um, preached among the Gentiles, so then the gospel goes out into all the world. Then what follows that? Believed on in the world. And then, lastly, received up in glory. Or, yeah, received up in glory. You say, uh oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that one's out of, out of place. We need to back that one up to, uh, put it behind, uh, uh, justified in the Spirit, right? He was resurrected. If that's a reference to the resurrection, then what, what follows that? Received up in glory. And then preached among the Gentiles. And so, I'm just saying this, chronology, uh, the chronological form um, may not fit too well. Now, and that might, if, if we're not exactly right about what these are referring to. Received up in glory could be referring to something yet future, you know, the final consummation. But it uh, seems like to me it's more likely it's referring to his ascension. And so, in fact, it's, it's the very same word, received up, analambanos, uh, this very same word that's, that's used. Uh, in reference to his ascension, like in Acts 1. So I'm pretty sure that's referring to his ascension there. So, so if that's the case, then the form being in chronological order doesn't work. Um, I think probably, and I'm going to give you a couple here, that it, it probably, probably just has more to do with emphasis on different, different truths here, aspects. And uh, I'm, I'm taking these from a, uh, what I've got here, and I'm sure everybody can read that, right? Listen, even if you were close enough, you can't read my writing, so don't worry about it. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure. I think Joshua got his bad penmanship from me, but uh, he's much worse, though. Um, (laughs) I'm taking taking these uh, uh, forms here from a uh, commentary by Walter Liefeld. But, you know, but these are are just, again, other options that they think may be... uh, the way that it's laid out. The first one is just called the alternating, the idea of alternating uh, um, emphasis on certain aspects. So, so you've got this. And he was manifest in the flesh. All right? That's a reference to um, him in the earthly realm. Vindicated by the Spirit. Heavenly. Seen by angels. Heavenly. Preached among the nations. Earthly. Believed on in the world, earthly, taken up in glory, heavenly. So it's giving, giving us these different aspects of, uh, of the work of Christ, the life and work of Christ, and, and uh, where it all played out. I'd say that's, that's a good possibility. Another one, and, and uh, the, keistic, the keistic parallelism, which I'm you know, not going to go into that a lot, but I'm just, I'm just saying it's, it's a very, very common... Um, poetic form in Hebrew literature. I mean, the, like the, the Proverbs, for example, are loaded with it. So this one, too, would also seem 
Uh, not just the Proverbs, but the Proverbs are loaded with it. But this would seem likely to me, because remember, Paul, the Holy Spirit's using Paul to pen this, and Paul is a Pharisee, and uh, any, at any rate, uh, this, this one seems very much likely to me as well. So, in a, in a keyistic structure, uh, the reason they call it keyistic is because the Greek letter key looks like what we would call an X. And so, you're, you're crisscrossing truths. And so you give a you give a truth, and then you give the opposite of it. And I don't mean something that contradicts it, but just something that sets over uh, uh, opposed to it. Again, not in a contradictory sense, but just set over in front of it. So it would look something like this, um, just to use a little outline letters. You'd be going downward A B C, and then you back up C B A. See, it does just the just the opposite. You got six lines. First three A B C. And then the last three, CBA. And, it would, and in this hymn, it would work like this. He's manifested in the flesh, a reference to his manifestation on earth. And then B, vindicated by the Spirit. It's a reference to his acceptance in the spiritual realm at the resurrection. C, seen by angels. Um, a reference to uh, the fact that he was comprehended by heavenly beings. And then, then you back up. Here we had manifestation, acceptance, comprehension. Now it reverses. Uh, C, preached among the Gentiles, comprehended by human beings. Contrast between heavenly beings and human beings. Believed on in the world. Acceptance in the earthly realm, whereas up here it was acceptance in the spiritual realm, vindicated by the Spirit. And then taken up in glory, manifestation in heaven, as opposed to a manifestation in earth up here at the top, where he's manifest in the flesh. It's It's poetry. It's poetry, and uh, I don't know. I hope, hopefully, you, you know, you uh, that's helpful to you. Like I say, it just fascinates me. And it, 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 I, I've never been. Uh, I like poetry. I like literature. Uh, I've never been big into it because I just like I told you uh, a while back. Because when I was young, uh, I was also dumb, and uh, you know I didn't read much, and uh, so I. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, crippled myself severely, uh, liter- literarily speaking. Um, so, uh, but now, you know, I find it fascinating, and I find it even more fascinating that the Holy Spirit, God, God would speak to His people uh, through poetry. And as I already said, much of the Bible is poetry. Much of it. It's fascinating. Now, when I say poetry, don't confuse that with, uh, I'm not talking about like necessarily rhyming. I mean, this doesn't rhyme in the Greek. And you read in Psalms and Proverbs and uh, <clears throat> prophets and uh, various places. Well, again, all throughout the Old Testament. It doesn't rhyme in the uh, Hebrew. That wasn't uh, characteristic of their poetry. It was more the, the, uh, uh, the, the parallelisms, like, like I just gave you an example of, where they would set truth against uh, truth and so forth, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and then sometimes here. Uh, and, and by the way, Psalms, the, the book of Psalms, are songs. They were originally written to be sung. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear how how they went? You know, I wish I knew the the uh, the melody. You know, when David uh, and the others wrote Psalms, Asaph and the others, uh, what, what melody did they put to it? It'd be fascinating to know that, wouldn't it? To me, it would. All right. Um, so that's a little bit about the structure of it and why it's called a, a, uh, a hymn or a confession because it has a poetic form. One more thing I'll mention here is that the verbs 
You look manifested, justified, seen, preached, believed, received, or received up, literally. Um, those are all the same tense. Uh, again, that's not by coincidence. That's, that's intentional. They're all aorist passive tense. Uh, so, uh, it's just a, a, uh, kind of a rhythmic, hymnic form. Alright, now, what about content? And we don't have much time to delve into this tonight, but I wanna, wanna start on it. And, uh, then we'll have to come back to it later. Uh, well, I'm probably gonna have to take one of these at a time, and I was hoping to cover the first one tonight. I might not even get the first one covered. But look at the first line again. God was manifested, was manifest in the flesh. Manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. The word manifested there is, uh, just the idea of made known. God was made known in the flesh. Now, let's, well, that's fascinating. You take the whole, God was made known in the flesh. This was a huge stumbling block. Not was. This is a huge stumbling block for many people. Um, the Jews, for example, uh, one reason they don't accept Jesus as Messiah is because we, uh, because Jesus claimed to be divine, because we teach the deity of Christ. And the idea of God taking on flesh is so repulsive to them, <coughs> and uh, to an extent, understandably so. Uh, I mean, what, the, what, they're, what they're saying is that God is so holy, and so he, God is transcendent, and He's holy, and He's other than, He's not like us. Uh, they, just the idea of God taking on flesh, becoming a man, they, they cannot get their, um, their mind around or their, their heart around. That's uh, a, a huge stumbling block. Now, if you're like I was and you're raised in the United States of America and you're raised in going to a church and all that, then you've heard this all your life and we don't think deep enough about it too often. But uh, to many, uh, to many uh, they see a huge problem with it. Uh, Muslims, same way. One reason they have such a problem with Christianity is because we talk about God in flesh. God becoming man. And, uh, you know, they just cannot uh, see how that could be. God was manifested in the flesh. Now, let me just take back up a little bit, the first part of that. Because this in itself, and I probably should have done this first, but this in itself is astounding. God was made known. God was manifested. God was made known. Again, the verb is a passive verb. So it wasn't that we, uh, we, we can't say that we knew him or that we, that we, that we found out about him. It's kind of like in science where they work hard and they study and they experiment and eventually as they as they uh, do experiments and you know they they learn facts and they learn how something works. You can you could dig into a, uh, a car motor, you know, get, go into it, tear it down. You know you you would learn more and more as you went and maybe get in there and learn how that thing works. It's not as though we 
set our minds to it and figure God out or anything about Him. No, He made Himself known. And that, again, that alone ought to just astound us. That God, who is transcendent, who is other than, who is holy, would reveal Himself to sinners. He's Creator. We're the creation. We may be the most intelligent beings on the planet, but we're still part of creation. God, in His love for us, grace, just totally out of grace, made Himself known to us. God was manifested. I mean, you can just take that right there and, uh, and say, wow, God was manifested. God was made known. I've mentioned this before, but uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book back in the 70s as an answer to uh, atheism and agnosticism. And the title of the book was, uh, He is There and He is Not Silent. Thank God that He is not silent. He has made Himself known. Um, turn with me. I want to look at this before we close. and Turn with me to uh, John 1. And I know this is a familiar passage. But uh, I guarantee you it's worth looking at and looking at and looking at and looking at again. <clears throat> Lord willing, next week I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about this and, and some of the objections to it. Some of the uh, heresies that have popped up in church history and some that ex- still exist today. Right here in Halton. Um, God was manifested in the flesh. Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, that the Word, Word... <laughs> get too confusing there. But the Word, Word here is the, the Greek word logos. Very common uh, Greek word. For word. Um, It's where we get our suffix, ology. You know, biology is a word about life. Bios is is one of the Greek words for life. Um, Anything like that. Scientology, uh, science uh, uh, means knowledge. Again, ology is a a word about knowledge. Um, you, You can just pick any. Any of our words that we attach ology to, and that's what you got. Theology, theology is a word about God. Theos, God. Theology is a word about God. So it's a very, very common Greek word, but it was used, and I mentioned two ways it was used here. It was used in Greek uh, philosophy to describe this uh, divine principle, the thing by which... Everything else operated. Not, not a, you know, they didn't, they didn't have the idea of a personal God, but they saw something out there that, uh, 
perhaps brought all things into being, or at least um, keeps all things uh, being, keeps all things moving. This this divine first principle um, they called Lagos. Well, I, I don't think there's any coincidence here. It's not by mistake that John, uh, you know, used the word Lagos that was commonly used among the Greeks to to describe that kind of thing. But he goes on to show that this Lagos is not some impersonal force out there. It's God. In the beginning was the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. And then he goes so far to say, which we'll look at more later in verse 14, that the Lagos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus. So he's saying Jesus is this divine Lagos, but He's a person. He's God, and He can be known. In Hebrew, now this is a Greek word, but it, it's used in the, uh, uh, of course, in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And, uh, you know, the Word of God. The Word of God. The Lagos of God. So, so in the Hebrew mindset, they wouldn't have been thinking about it in the same terms that uh, the Greek philosophers, that the Greeks would have because of Greek philosophy. They would have been thinking of it, the Hebrews would have been thinking of it in terms of revelation. The Word of God. So like you read passages, uh, you know, the Word of God came to the prophet Isaiah or, or something like that. And that's the way they, they would have thought about it. It's revelation. Revelation from God. So again, you could, you could view it in that light. Again, no coincidence. It, it works. The revelation, the Lagos, was in the beginning, was with God and was God, and the Lagos, the revelation of God, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Again, obviously, verse 14 makes it clear. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the divine Lagos. He's the, he is the first principle. Not Again, not an impersonal force of some kind out there, but... A personal God, Almighty God. And He is, as the Jews would have thought of the Word, He is divine revelation. Jesus is. Again, He said it of Himself, John 14, 6. I am the truth. John 17, 17, in His prayer, He says, Father, sanctify them by Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Jesus is this divine revelation. And that's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, God, God was manifested in the flesh. Well, I want to, I want to go a little deeper into that, but we'll have to do it next week. Uh, so, um, so we better stop there. God was manifested in the flesh. Here's something for you to meditate on. Just this one verse. Meditate on this this week. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 
Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Your Word, for the revelation You've given us, for the fact that You've made Yourself known and not left us in silence and in our blindness. And Lord, uh, may we, uh, as every moment goes by, every day goes by, may we know more about You. We pray that You would uh, just continue to make Yourself known to us through Your Word, by the power of Your Holy Spirit working within us. Lord, may we uh, know You better. May we love You more. Again, we thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.